All right. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 2.15, if you will. 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy, the second chapter in the 15th verse. Now, let me read it for you. Now, incidentally, as you're getting that uh, chart and some printing there, you go down to where it says God's, uh, it says the entire plan outlined, all right? You have that part down there? You see where it says seven weeks, 49 years, it says A, then it says B, 62 weeks, 434 years, then it goes over and it's C. Now, D is in the wrong place. D should be over at the extreme end of that block where it says one week, seven years. So change it, will you? Put D not where it is, but D all the way over the end of the block where it says one week, seven years. We don't want you to have a mistake there, all right? Put D there. Now, turn to 2 Timothy 2.15 and let me read for you very slowly and carefully. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. What's the rest of it? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we've been talking for a long time on rightly dividing the word of truth, on what is called dispensationalism. But yet I'm not convinced every one of you understands it. I know many of you do. Do you know what we mean when we say rightly dividing the word of truth. When we say dispensationalism, well, is it scriptural? I had a man drove from quarter after nine yesterday morning to about quarter after two or two thirty to come and see me. He's a man who is the head of a board of a grace church. And a while back they started a Christian day school and had to call a pastor who was a pastor and an administrator the Christian day school. Someone applied. He said, I'm a grace man. They gave him their doctrinal statement. And he said, why, of course I agree with it. Oh, do you have more? Oh, we have all you need. Absolutely. All right, here we are. Good, I'm sorry. I thought I gave you plenty. I'll make sure everyone has a chart. For I believe that I'm not going to be able to finish tonight, so don't lose it. You know what I want you to do? Put it in your Bible and keep it there and bring it back next Wednesday night. Okay? Now, this man told me that this pastor came and took over their church. And then a few Sundays ago, he stood up in the pulpit and for the whole uh, Sunday morning service, he blasted dispensationalism. said how horrible it is, what a blasphemy it is. And of course, they had to vote him out of the church. But when the pastor was confronted by the board, they said, we thought you believed this. Well, he said, I thought I did, but I didn't really understand it. Now, this is one of the problems. Do you really understand dispensational teaching? Do you understand what we mean when we say rightly dividing the word of truth? Now, let me inject this. If you do not believe in dispensationalism, if you do not believe in rightly dividing the word of truth, your Bible's a hodgepodge. If I didn't believe it, I'd be charismatic tonight. There's no other answer to charismatic teaching other than rightly dividing the word of truth. There is no other answer to it. 
but there's no other answer to Bible study. And I'm going to endeavor to prove that to you in the next few weeks. Now, really, is it important? Well, first of all, rightly dividing the word of truth is scriptural. God says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be what? Ashamed. Now, the word study is interesting. It's not the word study that you and I think of studying. You say, well, I'm going to sit down and study something. The word study here is spudadzo. Spudadzo is translated over in Hebrews 4.11 with the word labor, L-A-B-O-R, to labor. It means to the point of exhaustion. You labor. Doing what? Labor, study, to show thyself approved. Now the word show is paristomy. Paristomy. Paristomy is over in Romans 6, 15, the word yield. So now, actually, these words are good that you have in your King James Version, but we can get other words that will help us understand it. Labor to the point of exhaustion to yield yourself, approved of God. Now, approved is our friend dokimas. Dokimas. What's that mean? It means to take an examination and to pass it. Dokimas. Let me show it to you in another way. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9.27. Back to 1 Corinthians 9.27. 1 Corinthians 9.27. Here's a scripture that has bothered so many people that they've never really understood it. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, where Paul says, I keep under my body. Now, the 27th verse. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Now notice. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be what? A castaway. Well... Adokimos is here. When you put the prefix alpha in front of it, for that's what it is, it negates the thought. It means here to take a test and not to pass. So Paul said, I don't want to, after I preach to others, have to take the test and not pass it. Doesn't mean you lose your salvation here. It means just not passing the test. Now, this is the negative, the positive sides over in 2 Timothy 2.15. Labor to yield yourself that you might take the test and pass it, that you might not be ashamed. Now, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing it. Now, it does matter whether you do it or not. Matters a great deal. You will be ashamed if you don't. Now, I know that this is true because when I did not know rightly dividing the word, I'd come to a lot of passages. I had no explanation for them. I just had to pass right over them. People would ask me questions about portions of Scripture. I had no answers. And believe me, I was ashamed. Ashamed. 
You cannot be a Bible student and not be ashamed if you do not rightly divide the word of truth. I don't care who you are. As I heard one radio preacher one time make the statement that over in Romans 6 was water baptism. And I had a funeral with him a little while after that. And I said, brother, how do you get water out of that? You know what he did? He quoted a book by Harry Ironside. Didn't answer the question at all. Well, you must rightly divide or you're going to be a student who is going to be ashamed when you are confronted by many truths in the Bible. Now, the next thing I want you to see is that Satan hates this truth with all his heart and his soul. Satan despised the Word of God rightly divided. You remember a few years ago I brought you some series of messages on Paul and Satan. Satan's program today you especially read First and Second Timothy. His program is to keep people's minds blinded to this truth. This wonderful secret that God has revealed. And believe me, he has been successful. He has been successful. I think I'm safe in saying that 95% of those who believe in Jesus Christ and are truly saved there's no other way, of course, to be saved, have any idea this truth. As I've told you so often, I go into a new church or into a group where I've never been before. I say, how many people know the five mysteries of Paul? And I think I've told you of all the churches, the most I've ever found in one church was seven. Seven. Now, that's pretty pathetic, isn't it? Seven. Well, now, let's just ask a question. What do you mean rightly dividing the word of truth? What is dispensational teaching? How do you rightly divide it that you are not ashamed? How can you study and yield yourself to the Word of God to rightly divide it? Well, you've got to see there are two programs in the Bible. We'll deal more with this later. Two programs. One is an earthly program with a covenant earthly nation by the name of Israel. Israel. This program is a program that God imposed the Mosaic law upon this nation. They were put under the law. And this law helped to erect a middle wall of partition between them and all the Gentile nations. Made a difference. All their promises were earthly. All their blessings are earthly. God never promised them heaven. You go through and see if you can find where he has. Then there's a second program, distinct and apart from the first program. This program does not have a nation. For the nation under the earthly program has a land, it has a throne, and it will have a king. Now, this other program is revealed only by the Apostle Paul. Brand new message that God gave to Paul. It's completely heavenly. 
No earthly promises. It says you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This program is not a nation, does not have a land, does not have a throne, is not going to have a king. But as Ephesians 2.15 says, it's a brand new man by the name of Jesus Christ. Christ is the head of this man, and all who believe are members of his body. No ceremonies, no rites, no rituals, no law. Now, these two programs cannot be mixed just the same as oil and water cannot be mixed. They're apart. And until you see these two programs, one started with Moses, taking up from Abraham, and the other started with Paul. Now, do you see it? You're going to find yourself in a desperate place. Let me give you an illustration tonight. Go with me to the book of Daniel, if you will. Daniel, the ninth chapter. Daniel 9, and I'd like to start reading for you from verse 24. Daniel 9, 24. Now, remember one thing very clearly. Satan wants to keep you blinded to this truth. He does not want you to understand it. You are easier to handle if you do not see it. All right? Daniel 9, 24. Now, Daniel, of course, is under the Jewish program. It's an earthly program. It's with a law, the law of Moses, and law of Moses has 613 commands. 613. It deals with a king, it deals with a throne, it deals with a land. All right, with that in mind, Daniel 9, 24. This has nothing to do with the church, the body of Christ. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, why? To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, here's a man by the name of Daniel. The book of Daniel is a prophecy. Has much to do with the second coming of Christ, not the rapture. You see, the second coming has nothing whatsoever to do with the church, the body of Christ today. We deal with the rapture, not the second coming. Now, here this man Daniel prays. And he says, Lord, I need wisdom. Now, what was the problem in the book of Daniel? Will you put this in your mind? What was the problem in the book of Daniel? In the book of Daniel, a Gentile by the name of Nebuchadnezzar came up against Jerusalem. He destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He laid desolate the land of Israel. He carried off the people, most of them captive, back to Babylon. Now the Jews were upset, to say the very least. Why were they upset? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel, if you will, very quickly. 1 Samuel, or 2nd, yeah, 1st Samuel, 2nd Samuel, if you will, the 7th chapter, 7th chapter, 2nd Samuel 7. Now, let's just notice this for a second. 
2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter. And let me start reading for you from the 13th verse. 2 Samuel 7, 13. You might see the dilemma that Daniel and all his people had. He shall build a house for my name. So he's speaking of David, the king. And I will establish, of course, it's the seed of David that really is in view here, but they took it to be David. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not apart, depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put alway before thee. And thine house, David's house, and thy kingdom shall be established. What's the next word? Forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Now, you got this in your mind? David, going to have a king. Dumb. Going to have a throne. It's going to be established forever. And what happened? Why, it fell to a Gentile ruler, the world's first totalitarian ruler by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He swept in with his military might and just devastated everything before him. What did he do? Well, he took the king. The king's name was Zedekiah. He killed the sons of Zedekiah. Took Zedekiah and put out his eyes, blinded him, and took him captive. Israel's political rule is gone. No longer do we have a king in Jerusalem. No longer do we have a nation that's on its own. It's now in captivity. And they knew the promise that had been made to David. Thy kingdom and thy throne will be forever. And here it is, gone. King is blinded. His sons are killed. And most of the people carried off captives to Babylon. But here's Daniel, a man of God. He prays. Lord, I need light. What's wrong? Of course, he receives the truth that you have on your chart of the 70 weeks. Go back to Daniel 9, 27 with all this in mind. And here's the kingdom set aside. The Jew is blinded politically. He's on in the times of the Gentiles politically. And he's been there ever since. Not changed. I hear people talking about Israel being back in the land. And you know, it's not the way they say it at all. Israel was there, all right, but it's still the times of the Gentiles politically. You take a government of United States from backing Israel. How long do you think Israel would stand? How long do you think she'd stand? About five minutes. You see, 
This is why Carter was so upset with Andrew Young. This is why the folks in the State Department are so upset with him. See, he jumped the gun. The Arabs have a, something they're twisting. Our country with it's called oil. And here our country sits, promised to back Israel, but yet in a great dilemma. OPEC has the oil. Our progress, our economy would go boom if she ever again has an embargo on oil. You talk about the depression of 1929. If the Arabs would say, we're not going to sell you any more oil, we're going to put an embargo on, and they let it any length of time, our economy would be devastated. And here is our government walking a tightrope between the two. Now, it's not the times of Israel at all. It's the times of the Gentiles politically. It's the times of the Gentiles spiritually. Israel's back there in complete unbelief. This is not the program we have in Daniel 9. Israel being back there is not what Daniel was talking about at all. Now, what, what was said? Well, get your chart out for a minute. You have it there? And notice the top of it. It says, Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27, basic facts of the prophecy. Now, we got basic facts here we want to see tonight. Number one. The, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel came to inform Daniel that 70 weeks. Now, the weeks means years here, literally. We're not going to take time to prove that to you. We've done it so often. It means 70 times 7 years or 490 years are determined for Israel. Now, Daniel, angel Gabriel said, you want to know about Israel. When will this kingdom be established politically and spiritually? 490 years are necessary. Have it in your mind? 70 weeks times 7. 70 times 7 is 490 years. Now, what do these 490 years stand for? All right. Notice point number 2. These 70 weeks, or rather, we've got to have the last part of point number 1. From the command to rebuild Jerusalem to the anointing of the Messiah's king. Now, here's what the angel Gabriel said to Daniel. There are going to be 490 years. A command is going to go forth, rebuild Jerusalem. And from the time that the command goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem, 490 years, and the king, the Messiah, will sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem. He'll be anointed king. 490 years. Well, it's been a lot more than 490 years, hasn't it? What's happened? All right, notice point number two. These 70 weeks, according to verses 25 to 27, are to be divided into seven plus 62 plus one. Now, number three says there were to be seven weeks. That's 49 years. 
These 49 years from the command to rebuild Jerusalem to its completion was to be 49 years, and that came true, true exactly as prophesied. From the time that the command came forth, you rebuild Jerusalem, it took 49 years, seven weeks. And any Bible scholar or any other one else could admit that that happened. It was completed. This is verse 25. Now the point number four says this. These seven weeks were to be followed by 62 more weeks. 62 times 7 gives you 434 years until Messiah, the prince, should come. Now, we're starting to have a problem. We have 49 years plus 434 years. And then the Messiah is to come. The Messiah Prince. But point number five tells us something else. Messiah would then be cut off after you have the 49 years plus the 434 years. The Messiah would be cut off and then would follow the 70th week or seven more years that are needed to make it 490 years. These seven years would follow. During this week, the great tribulation would take place. And at the close of the tribulation, with these seven weeks, the Messiah would be enthroned. Now, I want you to see this. It's very simple. God said there'd be how many years from the command to rebuild Jerusalem till it was completed? How many years? Forty-nine. Then after that, there was to be how many more years? Huh? 434 years, and the Messiah would be here. Now, you can add all of this up. Is the Bible true or isn't it? Last week, I was told of a professor in a Christian Bible college who said that he felt the first few chapters of Genesis were a poem. And he said this because... He said, someday the evolutionists may find a mistake in the Bible. Are you afraid of that? I'm certainly not afraid of it. Not for one second. But you can count all of this out. 434 plus 49 is how many? How much? You sure? 483 years. And there's 490 years altogether, so you have seven just left. Now, here's the point I want you to see tonight. 483 years went by from the time that the command went to rebuild Jerusalem. The Messiah came. And he was to be cut off. Now, what's that mean, cut off? I'll be honest with you, for years I had the slightest idea. I told you I spent around $40,000 on a library. Library, excuse me. I read where Sir Robert Anderson, who I believe is one of the greatest scholars that ever lived. But he's got a book on this. And he said the Messiah was cut off when Jesus Christ went into Jerusalem on the day of triumphal entry and they called him the king. He said, that's the cutting off. 
After that, there's to be seven years. Then Harry Ironside, I read his book and others like him, McIntosh, Jennings, Darby. And most of these folks believe that the cutting off came when Jesus Christ was crucified, not on the triumphal entry. And then would follow the seven years. But there's a problem with both of these interpretations. In fact, there's a problem with all the interpretations I ever read. What's that? How could this Messiah come and be cut off and at a later date you have the last seven years, the tribulation, and then the king is enthroned upon the throne of David? How can that be if all that Jesus Christ did was have the triumphal entry or secondly, he was cut off at the crucifixion, as most Bible teachers tell you. There could be no salvation for Israel if that happened. You see, the triumphal entry, Jesus Christ did not offer himself as a king. He offered himself as a what? A lamb. A lamb. What was he riding? What? An ass. He wasn't riding a white horse. He came to be a lamb to fulfill all the lambs that were slain in the Old Testament. So that can't be the cutting off. That would be the wrong place. Israel would have no future. Neither would we, actually. Then, you say, all right, Jesus Christ was cut off at the cross. That again would not be any good. For Israel would have no salvation with just a crucified Messiah. You have to have a burial. You have to have a resurrection. And you have to have what? An ascension. Why? Because Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father waiting for his enemies to be made what? His footstool. All right. When did that cutting off come? Not at that point either. That point wouldn't make sense either because then Israel would not have had an opportunity in the book of Acts. Well, I met some grace men who helped me greatly on the subject. What is the answer? The Messiah was not cut off at the triumphal entry. He was not cut off at the crucifixion. He was not cut off at the burial, the resurrection, the ascension. He was cut off when what? Israel was blinded. For you read in the third chapter of Acts that Peter said to Israel, Repent! Repent! And I'll send Jesus! And he'll sit upon the throne. You have the fulfillment of Daniel, except before he could come, even then there had to be the seven-year period of tribulation. That's when Israel was to repent. The tribulation was to lead them to repentance, as we have in the Old Testament. Now, this cutting off is very important. You leave Paul out of it. You leave dispensationalism out of it. 
and you're in a sad situation. You have no answer for Daniel, the ninth chapter. The cutting off of the Messiah was when Israel finally said, we'll not have this man to rule over us. Last week at the conference, one of the grace preachers came to me and said, say, we understand that you believe that Israel was not cast aside by just rejecting, rejecting Jesus Christ in resurrection. I said, of course he wasn't. It wasn't a matter, you see, that many fundamentalists tell us that Israel was set aside when she crucified Christ or she rejected Christ in resurrection. She had to do something else. And what was that something else? What? Turn to First Thessalonians, the second chapter. Now, I hope you understand this. I had a couple grace preachers around me and I tried to get them to see this truth. First Thessalonians 2, starting with the 14th verse. First Thessalonians 2, 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Now, what did the Jews do? Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. Now notice, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Now what happened when they forbid it, Paul and his company to preach to the Gentiles, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the what? Uttermost. You see, this immediately dispels the teaching that at the cross of Calvary, Israel was set aside. That's absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, no basis for it in the Scripture at all. There's no basis that Israel was set aside when she stoned Stephen and sent him back to heaven and said, we will not have this man to rule over us. That wasn't filling up their sins to the uttermost. The wrath had not come upon them at that time. But you turn to Acts 13, and there you'll find that when Paul said in Acts 13, 46, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And what happened? Immediately, the Jews tried to keep the gospel from going to the Gentiles. Read the rest of Acts. They wouldn't let the gospel go to the Gentiles. And you have the blinding of Bar-Jesus. Why was he blinded? Because he tried to keep Sergeant Paul from hearing the gospel that Paul preached. And Israel at that point committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Their sins were filled up and the wrath of God came upon them and the Messiah was cut off from them. And now we have the period which you see that's empty between C and what we have down as D. And D, of course, should be a cross. You see, you have 483 years from A to C. Then what happened? Israel rejected and cut off the Messiah, refused to permit the gospel to go to the Gentile, and God blinded them. Just as Bar-Jesus was blinded, Elymas, and God brought in a brand new program called the Church of Body of Christ. 
Brand new program. Nothing earthly, all heavenly. And when He raptures us away, the one week will start the seven years. And at the end of that, Jesus Christ will come back the second time. We'll be gone. We're in the heavenlies. Israel will see their Messiah whom they pierced. They'll believe on Him, repent, and He will sit upon the throne of His father David. Now, if you read Daniel 7 without the knowledge of the Pauline truth, just doesn't fit. Just doesn't fit. Where was the Messiah cut off? Why was he cut off? What was the reason? We have it when we turn to Paul. We read the mystery that starts this age is in a Romans 11.25, the blinding of Israel, the setting aside of Israel, and the bringing in of the Apostle Paul with this wonderful grace message for today. But the religious world has taken two programs. They've mixed them together. They come up with an unholy concoction and they fight with one another over so many things. They're divided on one point after another simply because they do not rightly divide the word of truth. So many folks have said to me, why do we have so many denominations? Why do we have so many churches? I'll give you one reason. It's the only reason. They haven't rightly divided the word. That's the whole answer. All the denominations that are in the world today would not be here if folks rightly divided the word of truth. It's the answer to all the divisions. There would be unity. But of course, Satan doesn't want that. Now, we, you'll keep this chart till next week that we can go over it. I hope that somehow I've helped you tonight and I want to go on and that you'll see this beautiful truth, embrace it, and never forget it. Let us bow our hearts in a word of prayer. Our gracious and our loving Heavenly Father, again tonight, we thank Thee for Christ Jesus. We thank Thee for all that He means to us, that He gave Himself a living ransom for us. And Father, we thank Thee that we can be those who are not ashamed but rejoicing in the truth, growing in grace and knowledge. And so, Father, we'll commit each one into thy keeping. Now be with the choir, be with Don, be with the musicians, and we'll thank thee for this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.